Hey, North Point family. Thanks for joining us online this morning. You know, we are in the midst of this pandemic, and as a leadership, we're trying to figure out what is the best way to reach people. The fact that you're watching online is understandable, and we're trying to find out what works best for the most amount of people. So for these next two weeks, rather than being outside, we're going to be indoors, and then we'll be evaluating. Pray for us as we make these decisions so that we can, again, reach the most amount of people that we can in the midst of this unprecedented pandemic. Abraham Lincoln, President Abraham Lincoln, met Harriet Beecher Stowe. And upon meeting her, he said this, is this the little woman who started this great war? Well, he was referring to her book, Uncle Tom's Cabin, and that book wasn't the primary catalyst for the Civil War, but it did shift people's opinion, did shift the public's opinion. As they took in that story, it began to make them think differently and, and see differently. Well, if that's true for a novel written by a person, how about the Word of God, inspired by God as we take it in? What kind of impact should it have on our lives? And I want us to think about that this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Romans chapter 12, we're going to go all the way through the... Uh, chapter, verses 1 to 21, asking this question, what should be the impact of the gospel? Now, as you're turning there, uh, let me remind you that uh, verse 1 has the word therefore, and therefore is a connector. So this passage that we're going to look for is, is connecting back to what we studied in Romans, and that's this. The first eight chapters were the glory of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And what he did is he laid out the fact that everyone, religious or non-religious, falls short and needs the grace and mercy that is offered in the gospel. Verses 9 to 11 then was just a, a parenthesis. Well, what about Israel? They had rejected the gospel. What we found out was God wasn't surprised. He had planned this. He had, he had dictated it. And in fact, he was using it and he was going to use Israel again. And in the meantime, he was giving the Gentile audience just a, a warning. If God can graft out Israel, he can graft out you. So don't be too entitled Cody talked about that last week in Romans 11. If you haven't watched that sermon, I encourage you to do it. But then that brings us to Romans 12. And, and whenever there's a theological section where Paul talks about what God's done for us, there, there's an application section, and that's where we're at. It, that theology doesn't leave us unchanged. It is just not an academic exercise. It affects the very way we live. So Paul says, therefore, in light of what has been written, he says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. I want to stop there. The reason we're having this conversation about applying God's word is, is you, you and I, we're, we're objects of God's mercy. It's because of the mercy of God that we can even talk about this. Well, Paul says, in, in light of God's mercy, here's, here's what I suggest you do, you, you present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Many uh, translate your, your reasonable service of worship. What's reasonable in light of what God's done is to offer ourselves a sacrifice. See, in, in the Old Testament, uh, animals were sacrificed an altar for the forgiveness of sin. The, the, the sin of the people was put on those innocent animals. And they were, they were slain on an altar. Well, we're not slain, but, but we, we offer ourselves 
as a living sacrifice. That means we're living in a state of continual surrender to God. Uh, many a scholar has said the problem with the living sacrifice is it keeps running off the altar. But we're to be in an ongoing state of sacrificing ourselves to God. It goes on. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Uh, when I was in college, I was discipled by a man. He said, Andy, I, I will know, I will recognize spiritual growth when I see transformation, i.e. change priorities, change values. That, that's what Paul's saying. This gospel is not going to leave you unaffected. It is going to radically change who you are, what matters to you, what matters to me, what our priorities are, what our values are. They're going to come in line with God's. How's that going to happen? By the renewing of your mind. That's why we talk about the Bible every day. God uses his word. Remember we talked about Harriet Beecher Stowe's novel. Well, we're talking now about God's word. He uses that to, to transform us, to change us. So, he says that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. See, when I first came to Christ, somebody said, you know, you need to trust God with your security. And I thought, that, that's, that's, re that's really dumb. I, I got to take control of my own security. But 40 years later, I, I really buy that. And I understand that the word of God is, the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. And we prove that as we're in a state of sacrifice and as we're being transformed. We understand that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. So that means this gospel, this Bible that we're reading is going to change our values, it's going to change our priorities, and sometimes that's going to be uncomfortable. 1997, January 1997, Hope and I went to Costa Rica to language school, and they, they gathered us all in there. They were, this is where most of the missionaries went. And they spoke to us, and they said, Americans, Canadians, Western Europeans... Please listen. There's a different value system here. It's relationship over time. It's people over efficiency. If you can't buy that value system, please, for the sake of your blood pressure and the name of the gospel, please go home. Because you're not going to change it. But if you'll embrace it, it's really a beautiful value system. So I was about five weeks in, and my, one of my instructors said, you know, Andy, your Spanish is coming along. You ought to do something, push yourself a little bit. So I went to a men's Bible study. I was pretty limited in my Spanish. And at the end of the study that night, a, a man named Don Ricardo. Now, if you've taken Spanish, you know Don is a term of respect. He was the elder statesman. He comes up to me, and he says, uh, uh, usted le gusta baseball? Very simply, he was saying, do you like baseball? And so that began a conversation. He asked me my favorite team. I thought it was the Tigers. And, and he goes to me, he says, a mí me gustan los Colorado Rockies. And then he proceeds to name a bunch of the Rockies players. They had a bunch of Latin players. And he would say, Andres Galarraga, boom, home run. Vinny Castilla, boom, home run. And there's about five or six of them. You know why we were having this conversation? Because that was the level of my Spanish. Now, see, I come from a culture in the United States where it's like, man, if you don't learn English, what is your problem? Why don't you get with it? I, I don't have patience for that. Remember, we, I was in a different culture. 
people over time, relationship over efficiency. And I was no bother to these men as I was trying to learn the language. About six weeks later, my Spanish improved, and Don Ricardo is a barber, and I need a haircut. And so I tell him, and we have the conversation. He says, why don't you come at 9 o'clock tomorrow to get your haircut? And I think, okay, I'll be there. Now, I've been in the culture long enough to know he ain't showing up at 9 o'clock. So I roll in at 9.30. He's not there. 10, 10.30, about 10.45, he rolls in. Now, in America, I would have said to one of his uh, colleagues, hey, Hey, I'm running late. Tell Don Ricardo I'll catch him another time. But remember, it's people over time, relationship over efficiency. And if I had done that, nothing would have been said, but the relationship would have been over. So about an hour and 15 minutes after I get there, he sits me down in the barber chair, and I'm thinking, just cut my hair. Cut my hair. He wants to have a conversation. It's another 15, 20 minutes. My American values were being pushed. What's my point? You get in the gospel, I get in the gospel. We take this seriously. God's going to transform us, but our values, our priorities are going to be pushed. And Paul's going to get into that right now, starting in verse 3. He says this, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of yourself than he ought to think. But to think, so it says, have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Did you catch that? You and I, followers of Jesus, we're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Well, who are we in God's view? We are objects of mercy. No, 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 you don't understand, man. You, you don't understand what the house I own and the car I drive. And did I tell you I got a master's degree? And did I tell you my kid, he was on a roll, and he started on the thing, and he was this, and my grandkids, and I, and none of that matters to God. You and I, we're objects of mercy. And see, see, we live in a culture where we promote self. We, what do we take? We take selfies. And did you see my video on YouTube? And did you see my post on Facebook? Do you know how many like, likes I got? Do you know how many, do you know how many, do you know how many friends I've got on Facebook? And we get this elevated sense of self-worth. Paul said, you want to talk about transformation? Let's start right now. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. You're cherished. You're valued in God's economy. You're worth dying for. At the same time, you and I, were objects of mercy. Having then been, been grounded in, in who we are, Paul's going to talk about a responsibility. I mean, we're, again, we're, we're not living for ourselves. We're living for God. Paul's going to talk about a responsibility to the body of Christ. Here we go, verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, we're, we're all gifted differently, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the portion of his faith, is service in his serving, 
or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts to his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Look, this is not an exhaustive list of gifts. But it is to say there are a variety of gifts in the body. And your gift and my gift is not for our benefit. It is for the benefit of the body of Christ. And the 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 body of Christ, the church, is God's representative. So ultimately, we're investing our gifts in the body so the name of Jesus can be furthered in our community, in our world. It's transformation. We're not living for ourselves. And we're investing ourselves in the body of Christ so that his name and reputation can go forward. So I need to ask you, what's your gifting? What are your gifts? What has God wired you to do? And how are you investing that in the church and ultimately in the cause of Christ? So having talked about a responsibility within the body, uh, Paul talks about our our relationships within the body. Starting in verse 9, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. That's a Greek word that was used for acting. And what do you do when you act? You play a character that you're really not. And Paul says when it's loving, don't, don't be hypocritical. Don't be acting something that you really don't feel. This, this love is, is to come from a heart that has been changed by God. Paul says abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. And sometimes we do the opposite. We run to evil and we abhor what is good. Verse 10, be devoted. We're committed to one another. In brotherly love, I, I heard one scholar, I read him say, man, the Christian love, it's a rugged commitment. We're devoted. Give preference to one another and honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, and catch this, serving the Lord. This love we're doing, it, it's, it's ultimately, it's serving God. We're living out God's love that has been shown in our heart. So let me just give you a quick acronym for this being devoted to one another. And it's not mine. It's not original with me. I was watching a sermon of a church down in Orlando. It's a mental health, Christian mental health professional down in Orlando. He said this, catch a clue. And the acronym, clue is an acronym. C is curious. Would you be curious about people? Ask them questions to know their story. L, I'm forgetting what L is. Listen, L is listen, that's what it is. You know, if we're talking all the time, we don't give people a chance to speak. Being devoted to one another is listening to them. That means we ask a question, zip, we talk, we, we stop talking and we listen. How do you do it listening? You then is understanding. We stand under. We try and catch what is going on with them. We're trying to find out their story, what's going on, and then E is empathize. See if we can feel what it is to be in their place. Catch a clue. Be devoted to one another. Could we live that out in our body, that acronym, C-L-U-E? Paul goes on then talking about our relationships in the body. He says, rejoicing in hope persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Man, we're praying. We're, we're asking God to empower us and others. 
Uh, and then it gets real practical, contributing to the needs of the saints. We see people in need, we meet that need, practicing hospitality. And that gets a little challenging in this COVID environment. But perhaps we can have people for a cookout and stay outside. And, and I understand. These are unique times, but we'll get through this. Can we be people who live out hospitality, practical love, a rugged commitment? Before we moved here, we lived in Sierra Vista, and there was a man in our church. He's a police officer, and he drove a, a night car. Basically, it was a DUI car, and I got to know him a little bit. And I, I told him, I, you know, I appreciate what you do, having to approach cars at night when you can't see. And he assured me that there was training. And, and he said, honestly, Andy, I kind of like the, the challenge of it. And I said, oh, well, I, further conversation. Uh, before he was a police officer, he was in the infantry. And see, Sierra Vista had a, a base down there, Fort Huachuca, and I probably got out at Fort Huachuca and, and then joined the police force, Sierra Vista police force. So I, so I questioned him a little far, further, and I said, what did you do in the Army? He said, I was infantry. I thought, oh. I said, was that scary? He, he said, no. I said, Really? No. I, I said, were you glad to get out? He said, Andy, I miss it every day. What? He said, no, 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 man. You don't understand. I was in a, a, a platoon, and, and, and we were committed to one another. And I knew my brother had my back, and I had his. And we had an objective. And he said, if I hadn't gotten married, and if I hadn't had kids, I would still be in the infantry. But I was deploying so much, I wasn't seeing my family. He said, I miss it every day because there's, there's this commitment and together we're committed to one another and we're taking this mission. And I know you got your back and I, you, I got your... I'm. Is that not a model for the church? Is that not what Paul's talking about right here? So committed to one another. Why? Because God has transformed us. We got each other's back, and together we're, we're taking on this mission of, of enhancing the name of Jesus to our community and, yes, even to our world. Well, as we do that, Paul warns us, verse 14, he says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Hey, persecution's coming. We stand. If we're involved in this transformation bit, our values are changing. They're going to be different from the world. We're going to be persecuted. It's gone out throughout history. And trust me, our brothers and sisters around the world are facing a lot worse than we are. But if you follow Jesus, if I follow Jesus, we're going to be persecuted. And Paul says, don't curse those people. Verses 15 to 16, he turns back in the body. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So we got folks in this body right now who are giving birth to baby and there's new life. And we need to rejoice with them. And we got people in this body who have got serious diagnosis, and some of them have got terminal illness, and we need to weep with those people. Paul said, I, I want you to get with people. I want you to walk through the experience with them. Be of the same mind to one another, and do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Again, do not be wise in your own estimation. It goes back to verse 3. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Remember, we're being transformed. We're not being conformed to this world that says it's all about you. It's this Jesus who says you're an object of mercy, and, and it's playing out in our relationships and, and who we are and what we do. Verse 17, Paul says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Again, he's getting at probably persecution. Though some of this stuff goes on within the body. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, verse 18, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. 
Never take your own revenge. And this means we believe there's a God who's going to bring justice. And we might not get it now, but we believe that God is ultimately just and he will bring justice. So don't, don't take your own revenge. Beloved, leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine and I will pay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Now that's radical, isn't it? If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing, in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And scholars are split. Does that bring shame on them? Is that why you do it? The burning coals? Or is it further the judgment of God? I, I think it's both and. Remember, we're being transformed, and Paul's calling us to be different. Boy, you, you, you hit me, I'm going to hit back, right? Isn't that our culture? Paul said, I, I don't want you to do that. Persecution is reality. I don't want you to go that way. I want you to bless those who persecute you. I, I want you to feed those of your enemies who are hungry and thirsty. You give them something to drink. And here's what he says. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See this, this study we're doing in Romans and Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for the power of salvation of the Jew first and of the Greek. It's not simply an academic exercise. No, once we take it in, it is to uh, transform us. That's going to be our expectation, our values, our priorities, who we are. It's going to change. And I would argue it's going to empower us. So we started by asking this question, what should be the impact of the gospel? Here's what I'd say. We should be transformed to live and love like Jesus. Uh, we, you and I. We should be changed. Our values, our priorities should change. How? We should be transformed to live and like, uh, live and love like Jesus. See, back in, when I was a kid, there was this cartoon character, his name was Popeye, and he had a nemesis, Brutus. And man, in the day-to-day, I mean, Brutus just beat the fool out of Popeye. It was bad. Until Popeye got his hands on a can of spinach. Then he'd take that spinach in, and, and you could just see his muscles would grow, and, and man, the, the fight changed like that, and Popeye took it to Brutus because he was empowered by spinach. Man, what we're being called to here, this kind of love, this kind of sacrifice, you bless your enemies, you're committed, you're devoted, you're not thinking more highly of yourself, that's supernatural. And if you and I walk out of Romans 12 and think we just got to suck it up and do it, we've missed the point. We need to be empowered, we need to be changed from the inside out. And God's promise is to do that, but our commitment has to be we're going to submit to him. Look, when somebody goes to a boot camp to get in shape, one of the commitments they make is they're going to follow the directions of the boot camp director. And if they have to do lunges up a hill and carry weights while they're doing this, they're going to do it. God says, I'm going to empower you to live differently. But you're going to have to make a decision to submit to me. Remember, a living sacrifice. Are you there? Are you in? If we'll do that, here's God's promise. Comes at the Romans, end of Romans 8, verses 31 and 32. About this empowering to live and love like Jesus. Paul writes, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Uh, nobody, it's a rhetorical question, nobody. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, 
Here's the question. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? And what that's talking about is the power to live this transformed supernatural life. We're not thinking highly of ourselves. We're committed to the body. We're devoted. We're blessing those who persecute us. That's supernatural. But Jesus says, I'm there. And if you submit to me, I'll change you from the inside out. If you've heard me preach before, you know I was a chemical engineering major in college, and as a result of that, I take a lot of chemistry. And here's the, the gig with chemistry. Um, you combine this with that, and, and it changes it. That's, that's chemistry. You mix these things. So that's rough. So I was a sophomore year, and I was taking organic chemistry, and you have to take a lab, and uh, it's three hours at a shot, and, and you're supposed to read the lab before you go in because there's a lot of detail in lab work. And if you talk to my wife or you talk to the people that work with me, they will tell you Andy's lousy, 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 lousy at details. So, of course, I had not read this lab. I was running behind. I had to get it done. And I had this solution in front of me, and I was behind, and I had this other thing that I had mixed and I had put in there, and I was reading the lab, and it said, pour this into that. And so I poured in, and then it says, caution, pour slowly, because it can release a, a, a light form of cyanide gas. Well, I read that too late. And all of a sudden, this stuff comes up. And it gets me in the face, and I pull back. And then I go, oh. I put my hands up, and I've, I've mixed the chemicals on my hand. Now, this wasn't a lethal form, but it was enough to get me coughing and, and, and my eyes watering. And my teaching assistant comes over and goes, what happened? I said, I explained to her. And she takes me down to the end of the row. And in, in, in the organic chemistry labs, they've got these showers that they'll put you under in case you do something like I did, to, to dilute. And so I got a shower. I, in fact, I was the only person in the whole semester that got a shower because I had not been paying attention. I'd been behind. I had mixed these chemicals quickly, and, and I had been stuff kind of blow up in my face. Here's the point of that little story. This solution, it was just sitting there. It was no thing. It was nothing until I poured this into it. And then it radically changed. Look, your life and my life, it's that solution. And you put Jesus in, and the expectation is it will radically change. This gospel, it is not an intellectual exercise. It is something that turns us from the inside out and takes our values and takes our priorities and stands them on our head and reconstructs them so they line up with Jesus. We take this in. What should be the impact of the gospel? Here it is. We should be transformed to love and live like Jesus. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful that the gospel is not simply an academic affair, something we know, but it goes deep into our recesses, into our heart, and changes us from the inside out. But Lord, that, that, that starts with us submitting to you a living sacrifice, 
Lord, that we'd be those kind of people. And we'd be committed to renewing our mind with, with your word. And then and you who will freely give us all things will change us, will conform us so our priorities, our values line up with those of Jesus. Lord, would you do that in our lives? I pray in Christ's name. Amen.